pray. Lord, we thank you these songs that we could sing together, singing them to you, knowing you're a great Lord and a great Savior, and how wonderful you've been to us and how you have worked in our lives. We thank you for this church. We thank you, the Lord, the way that you have worked in so many ways, and we've seen your miracles at work within us. We thank you, Lord, for the way that you continue to show yourself as great and that you show, Lord, that you're there for your people. We ask that you'd be with us and help us. And Lord, as we come near the end of this series that we're working on in First Peter, we pray that, Lord, that it would have an impact upon us and that we would grow in it, that we'd learn, and that would be honoring to you. So be with us, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we'll see, you make this work, and it is. As you know, if you've been here the last few weeks, you know, we've been working on this series called Living the Gospel in an Unwelcome World. As we've seen so many strange things and great, you know, really weird things happening over the last weeks, months, we start finding that it's really, there's some really interesting things going on, but there's always some very difficult things taking place at the same time. So we're going to be looking at a passage today that David Reyes preached last week, uh, and I'm, I'm doing like the second part of that. But it's a beautiful section, so I want to, I'm going to just read it right quick. It's a very short little section. Just try to give you an idea what's going on, and we'll see this in just a minute as we get there. But this is the passage we're in. Like I mentioned, we're coming near the end of this series of it now. This is our next to last pa our passage in our study of 1 Peter. We have one more, at least for me, the preaching next week. It'll be concluding in chapter 5, and we will be done. It's been an interesting book. I know I've learned a lot from it. There's a lot I didn't even quite understand, and I was really glad to go through it. So that's what we've been working on together, and we hope that this passage will be helpful, helpful for all of us. Last couple of days, there's been so much going on that happened in Oregon. It's so sad to think that could happen. It's even more sad when it looks like at least two different people said that this guy, this crazy, demented, whatever it was guy, was asking, are you Christians? And said, if you're a Christian, stand up. And son stood up and he killed them. And it makes us at this really time when this is happening, a terrible thing, and we don't know all the ins and outs of what happened and how, but if it's all correct, what they're telling us, this is scary for us, and I can understand that for all of us. But what we want to see in this tragedy, in the midst of all this, is it reminds us again of the reality of evil. Whatever it was, whatever reasons were, evil is all around us. The good news, though, we have a great Savior, and we're not alone in this. We have the Lord who knows our struggles. And what we're going to see in our passage is going to be several kind of times in this passage we're going through where it's going to talk about evil or things related to evil. It kind of goes well, uh, this passage, in relationship to what we've been seeing these last few days. So we're in this passage right here. When we talk about this whole issue of suffering, we talk about the issue of here, we're talking about these issues that are so great and the evil that's all around us. And what it made me think about was Martin Luther. Many of you are very familiar with Martin Luther. Many of you are aware of the fact that he was a person, he was a great monk, a good monk, studying the scriptures, who came to the understanding that we are not saved by our merits, but by God's graciousness, by his goodness. There's nothing we could do to earn what God could ever give us. If you had a thousand years 
to try to be good enough. It would never be good enough for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so this passage is so important because Martin Luther had the courage. He'd already twice before been excommunicated. He's the only one we know of that was excommunicated three times. But the third one was not going to be the charm because he was going to be in trouble with this. So Martin Luther in 1521 uh, had this issue to go with. He had to meet before the leaders of the church. And there, and for all these people there, he had this thing saying, Martin Luther, Martin, if you would only turn around, if you would only just forget all this stuff that you've been teaching that's not right, you're not teaching the gospel right. And he said, it is. It's so clear in the gospel. Why do you not see it? And they said, come on, all you need to do is just get back on board with us. We'll forgive it all, and you're going to be fine. And he said, I can't do that. And there, here's a young man with all this pressure on him, realizing that if he doesn't do this, he's going to be in trouble. They could burn him at the stake or however they wanted to kill him. And so here, this relatively young man is facing this huge issue. And it's not coming from just some you know, terrible person who's doing it. It's coming from the church at that time. And so he stands in front of all these people and he says, okay, he says, what am I going to do here? And then here's the famous words that we've heard so many times where there he's there afraid going on and he stopped and he said, my conscience is captive to the word of God. Thus I cannot and I will not recant. I can do no other. Here I stand. God help me. Amen. It was like saying, there's your death warrant. You're not going to do this? Then we're going to kill you. Thankfully, he got out, and there was a group of men that came from the same area that he was in Germany who were not thrilled about what was happening here and some others. They got him, and they took him out, and they hid him for a while in a place in Germany where he took the German Bible that had not for many years been there, and he did it and published it, and God used it, and it spread in an incredible way. But the point is, Luther realized he could die if he, had this, if he said what he really believed, what the scripture said, that we're saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves. It is not about how many merits you got, how many coins you put into the box. It's about do you, have you come to a point in your life where you've recognized that we're saved by God's grace, not by what I've done or going to do. It's all mercy. It's all grace. And Luther almost came close to dying at that point. Thankfully, those men grabbed him and went out with him. And, of course, he started doing more publishing. He started sending out more stuff out. And what happened was more and more people are coming to the, coming to the whole thing of understanding what grace was all about and the impact it had in the lives of so many people. So there's an example right there of evil, tragically coming from the church, which nearly cost him his life. And one thing that Luther knew all, all along was now that this is happening, now that many people that are reading what I'm writing and people who are coming to that belief, that they're believing that we're saved by God's grace through faith, not by my merits, that he realized some of these men who were, used to be priests and many of them were monks and stuff had now joined the Reformation. And he knew it's going to happen at some point that one of these guys is going to be captured and they're going to give him an option. You can either get back in the track here and believe what we tell you is true, or we're going to kill you. And it didn't take very long before it happened. Heinrich Voss and John S., some of you have heard of him before, understood him before. He was there. They were two young, two guys, relatively young. 
And they were, you know, following the Reformation. They believed we're now saved by God's grace. And so what happened is, the question is, they caught him. And they gave him an opportunity. Just say that you're wrong. Just tell it. We'll tell you that, you know, if you just say that I was wrong, will you forgive me? Everything would be okay. And both Heinrich and John both said, I'm sorry, I can't do that. He says, what do you mean you can't do it? Because I believe what you're saying is wrong. I don't know how you missed this whole part about we're saved by God's grace, not by our merits. And he said, I can't do that. And they said, well, you know what we're going to do? And he says, yeah, we do know what you're going to do. They gave him the ultimatum. You've got two days to decide what you want to do, and then you better tell us what you want, and you better tell us the right thing. And they both said to him, I'm sorry. John, you want to get saved here? Oh, I'm sorry. No, okay. They gave him an ultimatum. You bet you got your time. What are you going to do? They said, I'm sorry. We cannot go back in what you wanted us to do. We fully believe we're saved by God's grace through faith, period. And they said, well, you know what we're going to do? I said, yes, we do. They said, okay. And so they started the fire going. The guys came, and they, they, while they're there in the fire, and the fire's burning them, they did the Apostles' Creed. Then they went, they, Te Deum Laudamus, God, we praise you, God, we praise you, while they were burning until they couldn't speak anymore. And it went down to ashes. And the many of the people that were there were like, oh my goodness. Did he really believe that that strong, that he was willing to die for what he believed? And he did. The flames took him. But he was gone. This passage that we're going to be looking at today in just a few minutes is dealing with this issue. An interesting thing that last week David Lareus was teaching, and the two passages here that we worked through went through together. Just want to give you real quick a little bit of review of last week so you know exactly what we're on. This is part here of what David said. Now the end of all things is near. Therefore be clear-headed and disciplined for prayer. Above all, keep your love for one another in full strength since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to each other without complaining. Based on the gift they received, everyone should use to serve others as good managers of the variable grace of God. If anyone speaks a speech, you should be with the oracles of God. If anyone serves a service, you should be from the strength that God provides, so that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And I love this way that little passage that David had ended that way. To him belongs the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. You can take a breath right there. And all God's people said, Amen. It's a beautiful passage. But then at this point, Peter goes off on a little different track. And stay with me as we go this. Our passage is 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 19. David had the passage just before it. I have the passage just below it. 1 Peter chapter 4, 12 to 19. This is a great passage. I know I say that too many times, but it is a great passage, okay? First of all, notice the way he starts off. Dear friends... He said, when that fiery ordeal arises among you to test you, don't be surprised as if something unusual were happening to you. Now, this is an interesting passage from the very beginning. Dear friends, when they, excuse me, when the fiery ordeal arises. He doesn't say if it occurs. He doesn't say if it happens. He says when it happens. In other words, he's saying, if you're going to follow Christ, there's going to be issues. There's going to be a price 
to follow Jesus. But it's a privilege to follow Jesus. And she said, dear friends, when that fiery ordeal arises among you, to test you. Notice that phrase, to test you. Now, a lot of times, we don't particularly like that, that God will take us through difficult times, hard times, times we don't understand what God is doing, understand what we think we should be doing. And it's saying, you know what? He does this to test you. The whole idea of the fact that when they've got gold and silver and they get that super hot and they take the dross off the top, it says, that's what God's doing with you. He's making you pure, making you holy. And he said, don't be surprised. This is something unusual we're happening to you. In other words, this is not something that's new. You know all about this. In fact, it's interesting. I think I have in my passage right here. Here and the passage um, where he is speaking. And here in this passage, he talks about the fact earlier, the very first chapter, there in 1 Peter. And what does he talk about? He talks about suffering. He talks about endurance. And here he's saying this, don't be surprised, as if something unusual were happening to you. In other words, this is going to happen. There's a cost for following Christ. There is a cost for following Christ. And we are certainly going to experience, unless the Lord comes now, we're going to see more of it. And so he says, when that fiery ordeal arises among you to test you, don't be surprised that something unusual were happening to you. He says this on verse, the next verse, instead, as you share in the suffering of the Messiah, rejoice with great joy at the revelation of his glory. It's a beautiful verse. Notice what he said? He said, he said instead, as you share in the suffering of the Messiah. What does he mean by that? Do you remember when we were working with the book of Romans, when we were going through the Romans, what a wonderful book. And there Paul was talking about the idea of union with Christ. Christ in us. Us in Christ. We are connected with him. And so what Peter's doing is picking up off of that, that whole idea of saying, you know what, because you have come to faith in Christ, you are, quote, in Christ. You're connected with him. As he went down into the ground, and as he was raised to new life, he said, that's the same thing that's happening here. He said, you, here you are at a time, Nero is probably one of the people at that time. We know there was time of suffering. And he's telling them, he says, listen, instead you share in the suffering of the Messiah. In other words, you're not the only, he's not the only one going through suffering like you are too. Now again, he, Jesus died and he rose again. But the point he's saying is, you're connected you're, you're experiencing what he has experienced, and you're experiencing it now. He said, and so you're suffering with the Messiah. You rejoice with great joy at the revelation. He's not talking about the book of Revelation. He's talking about God's revelation, God showing out of his glory. The glory of God, even though all you people around here, most of these people were not Jewish. There were Some were. They were not the dominant crowd. It was more the people that came out from the other groups and other beliefs. But he's saying, listen, to what you've got, with great joy, with the revelation of his glory, that God is great, God is working. 
but he keeps telling them. He tells it at the very beginning, the very first chapter. He tells us now at almost the very end and saying, suffering, you need to expect it and recognize God has purposes for it. He doesn't say necessarily everything has the same purpose, but he said there are purposes that God takes us sometimes, sometimes through very, very difficult waters. So notice what he says. He says, if you're ridiculed for the name of Christ, let's stop right there for a second. See the word Christos and the word Messiah, the word Mashiach, both of those, Greek and Hebrew, have the idea of anointing. Like in the Old Testament, a priest could be anointed, another person could be anointed, a prophet could be anointed with oil. And it's saying, talk, it says, if you are ridiculed the name of Christ, Christos, Masat, Mashiach, it's the same thing. But he said, if you're ridiculed. Now here's something that's very interesting because if somebody said, oh, somebody ridiculed me. Well, I mean, I weren't particularly happy about it, but I mean, I don't think I'm going to lose a lot of sleep about it. But in Asia, particularly, and even in where we talk about this in Israel and stuff, the issue of being ridiculed is very, very important. To have to say something like that to a person, it's this whole thing of shame, that you don't want to be shamed. Even in the time of Romans, it was terrible if somebody shamed you. I mean, that was like, you know, feel like you're dying. In a lot of ancient, um, no, excuse me, and even in uh, uh, days today, and particularly in Asia, there are groups who are like, you know, oh no, if that was to be awful to happen for me. And so he said, if you're ridiculed, like expecting that's going to happen as being a Christian, if you're ridiculed for the name of Christ, it was a little bit odd here, he doesn't tell us exactly, he doesn't say the name of Jesus. He talks about Christos, he talks about Messiah, and he said, you know what? He said, you are blessed because of the spirit of glory and God, it rests upon you. In other words, saying, okay, nobody likes to be ridiculed, particularly in those cultures, in the East, and in the Far East, and the stuff like that. That's a huge thing for them. Not so much for us, but for that, those cultures. And so he says, Messiah, he said, you are blessed because the spirit of the glory of God rests of you. And he says, none of you should ever do it, should suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer. Now let me kind of backtrack a little bit, because notice this. If you're ridiculed for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Now, I can't imagine most of us saying, I am so glad that I'm so blessed by somebody ridiculing me. That's not something we want. Again, our culture's not so big on that. A lot of those cultures in that time, and even this time now, there are people that... That would be a terrible thing, to lose face, to have people to turn against you. But notice what he says right here. He said, if you're ridiculed in the name of Christ, you're blessed. And you keep thinking, here you're talking about suffering, you're talking about pain, more pain. And he goes, yes, but you know what? Notice this, Matthew chapter 5. As far as we know about the apostles, the one person who knew the most about Paul, who had, I mean, Paul, with Jesus, the one who had the most probably time with them is Peter. He was the leader of the apostles. He had a lot of time with them. And so what he says to them, he says, listen, he said, you're, if you're ridiculed in the name of Christ, you're blessed. Again, he's taking this right out of Matthew chapter 5, what Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, where the passage says, Blessed are you whenever they insult and persecute and make all times of evil accusations against you on my behalf. In other words, here he is. He says, I remember Jesus telling us that. And he's telling us the same thing. Even through the suffering, 
you are blessed if you're connected with the Lord and you're following him. And so he says, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you, none of you, however, should suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. In other words, don't give them any reason that they can be mad at you or can be evil to do evil things to you. You, you as a Christian ought to be living in a lifestyle that is not only honoring to God, but people look at it and say, well, that's a, that's a great woman. That's a great man. That person is someone you can trust. This is a person that you know that you'd want to be with, you'd like to have in your home. He's saying this is why you need to be living in a way that people see that there's something different with you, not because you're weird, but because you, you know Christ and you're serving him. And he's saying, and here's what you need to do. He says, you don't want to have to say, oh, well, that person, he was a thief. Oh, and he's also a Christian. He's saying, let's not give them anything more other than the fact that we're all getting struggle from them. Don't let that happen to you. Don't let it happen to you. So notice what he says. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he should not be ashamed. But notice this, but should glorify with that with that name. What's interesting, why didn't he just say Jesus? Doesn't tell us why. Tell us why, because it seems to be in the early church, they didn't oftenly use the word Jesus that early. Later on it did. You see it on the screen up there. You can see it here. Acts chapter 11, verse 25. For a whole year, Barnabas and was there the whole year. They met with the church and they taught large numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And so Antioch was a place where it became the place that kept, people said, oh, we know what that means. It means Christ, the anointed one. And so they knew what that was. And it says he came from that, God's household. And so it says, and it says in that next verse, for the time has come to judgment to begin with God's household. Stop right there. I've had people before that get nervous, like saying, hey, I, I thought we weren't going to have to go to judgment. We have come to faith in Christ. Remember, it talks about we are going to be at the judgment. The good thing is we've already come to faith with him. We're not doing this just you know, saying, have you been good enough? It's saying because you have come in this. But we're all going to stand before the Lord at some point. And it says, but what do you want to do? You want to have a make sure when you come before the Lord, you're not going to be ashamed. And he said, okay, so if we, he says that point, he said, for the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. I mean, if this is good enough for this, but he said, but what will it be for those that are not believers? I mean, think what their judgment is going to be, particularly those who hear the gospel, clearly understand the gospel, and say, I don't want it. What Peter's saying here is, you're in big trouble. If you know the gospel, you hear the gospel, and you reject the gospel, that's exactly what he's talking about here. The time has come for judgment to come with God's household. If it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? Then again, like Peter often did, coming back to the Old Testament, and he quotes it. And if the righteous is saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and sinner? In other words, if, if that is this, how much more is it going to be for those that are opposed to it, gospel? And then it ends in this little interesting way. He said, so, kind of summarizing this up, taking this up, so those who suffer according to God's will should, in doing good, entrust themselves to a faithful creator. I love that phrase. 
You should trust yourself and trust yourself to a faithful creator. So those who suffer according to God's will should, in doing good, entrust themselves to a faithful creator. Can you trust him? Do you believe he really is there for you? That he cares for you? That God is sovereign enough to take you through the worst of things that could ever happen to you? That there's a God who's big enough to be able to help us, to help strengthen us? And he's saying he's there for you. Entrust themselves to a faithful creator. The reality of evil and our response as Christians. Ed Setzer, many of you have heard about him. He's a pastor, famous pastor. He's written a number of books. And he's on, he tweets all the time. So if you like tweeting, you can see his stuff. But anyways, he was writing an article with all this thing that happened in Oregon and how terrible it was and how people were responding. And it was interesting. I, I copied down, read a thing that he did. He's trying to talk about you know, how do we deal with this tragedy. And notice what he said. He's had, there's a couple sections in here, but I'm just picking it up. He said, this might sound ridiculous at first because students at the Impagua Community College may have been killed for saying they were Christians. And it seems to be that's, we have several group groups that said that happened. In other words, this guy, this guy, crazy man, whatever it was, whatever his motives were, he asked people, if you're a Christian, stand up. Now, I want you to think right this moment, there's a guy there that's holding a gun. The other person who was wrote, wrote about this said the guy had to reload. And so he was reloading the belt loading the gun as he was getting ready to kill some more people. And they asked him, he said, are you Christians? And several of them said, I, yes, we are. And he shot him. Not all of them died. One got cut through the hand, another one was hit in the leg. Uh, of course, nine died. It's pure evil. It's not just psychiatric stuff, it's evil. He said, this might sound ridiculous at first because students at Impagua Community College may have been killed for saying that they were Christians. However, as followers of Jesus, and he says, as ones who have, been, have sacrificed our lives for the kingdom of God, we must remember that being a Christian means that we put our hope in a story that goes beyond our numbered years. When Christ rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, his trajectory of human existence went with him. The gospel tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us and that he is going to prepare a place for us where the brokenness of this world cannot kill and where there will be no tears. They'll be wiped away forever. That's the Christian hope. It's either a lot of baloney or it's the most wonderful thing you could ever imagine that we've got a great Savior who's prepared a place for us and we're going to be with him forever. Now I'll close with this question. Oh, I'm sorry, I missed that one passage. In the face of targeted attacks such as these, or perhaps even more specific persecution in the future, Christians must remember that our hope is not in this life but in the life beyond the grave. What would you do if they had a gun and they asked you if you were a Christian? I could very easily see myself saying, hey, this guy's a nutcase. I'm not going to die because this guy's crazy. I'm just going to say, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, buddy. Uh, whatever you want me to be, I'm one of those. 
Or would you be willing, like those people in Oregon, those students, who got up and said, <coughs> I am a Christian. And the guy supposedly said, don't worry, it's going to be t it'll only take a few seconds and you'll be, in, you'll be with God. And he shot him. Think about yourself. Put yourself there. And you've got to make this choice really quick. If he says that you're a Christian, do you stay in your spot and don't stand up? You start thinking, I've got a husband, or I've got a child, I, I just can't do this. Or do you say, yes, I'm a Christian. And he goes, okay, I'll kill you. I hope to God I never have to be in that experience. I hope none of you do. But we'd be fools to think that that can't happen again. The way our culture is going, the hatred that many have for Christians, it's not going to get better fast, if at all. And it reminds us, this is not our permanent place. We're going to be with him forever. No more pain. No more suffering. We'll be forever with him. Lord, for your passage that you gave us today, we're grateful. We thank you for what it spoke about us. We thank you for here is a passage that goes back so, way, so long ago, and yet it still speaks to us today. Help us, Lord, to be the men and women that are bold for Christ, and that, Lord, you would continue to do your good work in us as individuals and as a church, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Carl. It's quite a challenge. Please stand with us as we sing. An appropriate song, Stronger. We need strength.